Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been addressing his disciples and us. However, identifying as a disciple or follower of Jesus does not make one a genuine disciple. Even while Jesus spoke to his disciples, some were disingenuous at best and traitors at worst. John 6 records that many who claimed to be disciples of Jesus quit and followed him no more. Even Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, not only quit being a disciple, but also betrayed Jesus and handed him over to be crucified. Therefore, in Matthew seven, thirteen to 14 Jesus set forth a choice between two ways that determine whether or not one is a genuine disciple. Genuine disciples enter the narrow gate, walk the narrow way, and are citizens of God's kingdom. False disciples enter the broad gate, walk the broad way, and remain citizens of Satan's kingdom. Now, Jesus follows up his teaching on the two ways with a warning about false prophets in Matthew seven fifteen to 20. And his rationale for such a warning is simple. Whenever the restrictive demands of a narrow way are taught, there will be false prophets who will blur the truth, distort the gospel, and promote the benefits of the broad way. Listen to the words of A.W. Pink. He says, quote, False prophets are to be found in the circles of the most orthodox, and they pretend to have a fervent love for souls. Yet they fatally delude multitudes concerning the way of salvation. The pulpit, platform, and pamphlet hucksters have wantonly lowered the standard of divine holiness and so adulterated the gospel in order to make it palatable to the carnal mind. Even today, churches are filled with missionaries, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who distort the gospel of Christ. Their pseudo-gospel contains no hell, and it requires no repentance of sin. Again, listen to the words of A.W. Pink. He states, quote, Any preacher who rejects God's law, who denies repentance to be a condition of salvation, who assures the giddy and the godless that they are loved by God, who declares that saving faith is nothing more than an act of the will which every person has the power to perform, is a false prophet, and should be shunned as a deadly plague. And as such, Jesus delivers here to us a warning about false prophets and kingdom citizens in Matthew 7, 15 to 20. A warning about false prophets and the kingdom citizens in Matthew 7, 15 to 20. Now, Jesus first reveals the danger of false prophets in Matthew 7, 15. The danger of false prophets, Matthew 7, 15. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Again, this is the danger of false prophets. Now notice the verb beware, prosecco. It means be on guard, be on alert. Now to be on guard and alert is not a suggestion. It is a command implying that we must be on alert because there is a clear and present danger. The verb beware can also be rendered as holding one's mind away from something. Holding one's mind away from something. In other words, we should not expose our minds to the teachings of the false prophets. 
Believer, we must be on guard and alert to the danger of false prophets. The term false prophets, pseudoprophetes, describes a prophet who deliberately deceives. It denotes the idea that these false prophets know that they are purposefully misleading others with their purported prophecies. Throughout Israel's history, there were many false prophets. Balaam, the prophets of Baal, Hananiah, all who deliberately attempted to mislead God's people. Now, along with the false prophets, there are other dangers of which we must be on guard and alert. Paul warns in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, the term false apostle, pseudo-apostolos, denotes the, those who masquerade as church leaders to deceive people and lead them astray. In 2 Peter 1, 1, Paul, Peter rather, warns that there will also be false teachers among you. False teachers, pseudo-didaskalos, know that they are purposefully misleading others by teaching falsehoods. Notably, they promote a message that is irreconcilable with biblical orthodoxy. And it's important for us to understand the term false teacher. It's critical because it distinguishes a false teacher from someone who teaches the wrong thing out of ignorance. Anyone can unwittingly, anyone can unknowingly teach error. However, it is something far different and, listen, far more sinister to deceive people deliberately. Now, that prophets, apostles, and teachers can be declared to be pseudo or false implies that there's an objective standard by which to determine a prophet, apostle, or teacher is genuine. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5 lays out the threefold test to determine whether or not such a one is genuine. Moses says in the text, quote, If a prophet among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So shall you purge the evil from among you. The threefold test of a genuine prophet then includes an integrity test, a theological test, and an accuracy test. Regarding his integrity, a prophet must be blameless. That is, he must behave, he must act in a manner pleasing to the Lord. In other words, he's not going to command people to do something contrary to God and God's character. Theologically, a prophet only speaks what God commands him to speak. And as far as accuracy, the prophet's word must be verified as actual and in compliance to God's word. Now, in light of the vast number of false prophets in his day, Jeremiah provided the people with a standard for discerning between true and false prophets. 
He said in Jeremiah 23, 22, But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil ways and from the evil of their deeds. You see here, a genuine prophet stands in God's counsel, announces God's words to God's people, and calls those people to repent of their evil ways and deeds. On the other hand, false prophets do not take counsel from God, do not declare God's word, and do not preach repentance. And so Yahweh declared in Jeremiah 23, 14, that the false prophets were guilty of committing adultery and walking in falsehood and strengthening the hands of evildoers. And so in Jeremiah 23 and verse 16, he commands his people, do not listen to the words of the prophets because they are leading you into futility. They do not speak from the mouth of the Lord. Now under God's theocratic kingdom laws, a false prophet would have been put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 13, 5. Now I understand that such a reaction to false prophets or teachers may seem extreme in this age of tolerance. However, God commands such extreme measures because as will be evidenced, false prophets or false teachers, false apostles cause irreversible damage to God's people. These false teachers, by the way, are still active amongst God's people, the church. And while capital punishment for false prophets and teachers and apostles is off the table because we live in a non-theocratic nation, Scripture still warns church elders to guard the flock from false prophets, apostles, and teachers by keeping an eye on, turning away from, separating from, and avoiding false teachers. Paul warned the church of Rome, Romans 16, 17, keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. The command to turn away from, eklino, means steer clear of those who promote false teaching. Don't dialogue with them, steer clear. To the Corinthian church, Paul warned, therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. The command to separate, aphorizo, means to remove yourself from those who teach anything contrary to sound doctrine. Again, you don't dialogue with them. You remove yourself from them. Listen, Paul also warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 5. Men who are holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. The command avoid, apotrepo, means deliberately stay away from those promoting false teaching. You're not to dialogue with them. Instead, you're to stay away from them. You see, the reason we must keep an eye on, turn away from, separate, and avoid false teachers is because they're dangerous. Now you may ask, well, how are they dangerous? Folks, false prophets are dangerous because they are destructive. They are destructive. 
Jesus calls them here in Matthew 7, 15, wolves. The term wolves, Lucas, refers to a violent, destructive animal. False prophets are dangerous because they're destructive. In Acts 20, 29, Paul refers to false teachers as savage wolves who will come in among you, not sparing the flock. See, wolves are natural enemies of sheep. Wolves don't come in to befriend sheep, but to destroy and devour them. In 2 Peter 2.12, Peter alludes to false prophets as, quote, unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will and destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Now you say, well, pastor, how are false teachers destructive? Well, Peter states in 1 Peter 2.1 that false prophets secretly introduce destructive heresies. Heresies. Heresies are doctrines or teachings that do not conform to orthodoxy. And notice these false prophets secretly introduce their heresy. The verb secretly introduce, parasago, means to smuggle, to use craftiness, to be nefarious. You see, the false teachers will try to smuggle heresy into the church's teaching ministry by any means available. And notice here that their heretical teaching is destructive. Destructive, apolia, means that their heresy causes so much damage that it often leaves its victims beyond repair theologically. Their destructive nature is such that leading people through the broad gate leads them down a path that ends in destruction. Sadly, little do they realize that their destructive behavior will destroy them as well. As Jude 10 states, these false prophets are like unreasoning animals. By these things, they are destroyed. So false prophets are dangerous because they're destructive, but notice as well that false prophets are dangerous because they're devouring. They are devouring. Jesus says they are not just wolves, they are ravenous wolves. That term ravenous, harpox, means greedy. Their appetites are insatiable. Peter reveals in 2 Peter 2.14 that false prophets are trained in greed. The verb trained, gumnazo, means that they're schooled in how to satiate their greed. According to 1 Timothy 6.5, false prophets suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they view the ministry as a way by which they can make a profit. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul warned the Corinthians that these false prophets were guilty of peddling the word of God. Peter also states in 2 Timothy 2.3 that in their greed, false prophets will exploit you with false words. You see, in their greed for more money, they will lie and deceive those to whom they minister. They'll devour you. False prophets are also dangerous because they are deceptive. Jesus warns they come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, the Jewish prophets were recognized by what they wore. Hebrews 11.37 reveals that the prophets, quote, went about in sheepskins and in goatskins. According to Zechariah 13.4, these animal skins were a hairy robe or cloak. In 2 Kings 1.8, when the king wanted to know what kind of man had spoken to them, the messengers reported, quote, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. Now, this description, hairy man, does not mean that Elijah was overly hairy, but that he wore a hairy robe or cloak 
made out of sheepskin. And upon hearing the description, the king knew that it was the prophet Elijah because he was wearing the traditional prophetical garments. Matthew 3, 4 notes that John the baptizer wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, implying that he was a prophet. And so when false prophets come in sheep's clothing, it does not mean that they pose as sheep, but that they disguise themselves as biblical prophets. They are deceptive in their appearance. These false teachers act like Christians and present themselves as biblically orthodox, but in reality, they are not Christian, they are not biblical, nor are they orthodox. In the words of Jude 4, certain persons have crept in unnoticed, ungodly persons, who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And folks, they are not only deceptive in their appearance, but also in their speech. False prophets, false teachers appear to know the Bible and use biblical terminology. They speak Christianese fluently. Nonetheless, Yahweh reveals in Jeremiah 14, 14, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken of them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deceptions of their own mind. Paul states in Romans 16, 18, that these false prophets, by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. You see, they'll claim to be from God, and they'll speak his words, but instead they are from Satan, distorting God's truth to deceive God's people. False prophets are also dangerous because they're despotic. They're despotic. In Acts 20, 29, Paul warned the elders of the Ephesian church, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The term savage, barus, depicts these false teachers as cruel, as oppressive, as despotic. Instead of leading and feeding the people in their care, false prophets will set themselves up as lords over the people to use and abuse them. False prophets are dangerous because they are deadly. In Acts 20 verse 30, Paul continues his warning saying, From among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Perverse, diastrepho, refers to that which is twisted or distorted. Hence these false teachers are guilty of twisting and distorting God's word. And notice that these false teachers come from among your own selves. Friend, we got to wake up. The false teachers, the false prophets, the false apostles who distort the truth to lead away some of the flock are within the church. And just as wolves are deadly to sheep, false teachers are deadly to the church. And so I admonish each of you elders, you elder men, you elder women, you must know sound doctrine. You must know it so that you can discern false teaching when you hear it. It is not enough just to know sound doctrine, however. You must demonstrate it. I charge you to demonstrate it in your life. I charge you to disclose it to the people. And so do you who serve as elders, leaders in the church. Examine yourselves. Are you growing in sound doctrine? Are you learning sound doctrine? Are you passing it on? Are you living it 
in your life. My friends, I need you to understand the life of this church, the lives of the flock of God that is in your care depends on it. It depends on you protecting them from false prophets, false teachers, false apostles. Jesus warns the disciples about the danger of false prophets because many will be deceived and follow them. Irrespective of the teachings of the scripture, many believers are taken in by false teaching. And the reason believers are so quick to be deceived and taken in by false prophets is that they lack a foundation in biblical truth. Now, regarding the danger of false prophets and the like, the Apostle John warned in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. And as such, Jesus describes the detection of false prophets in Matthew 7, 16 to 18. The detection of false prophets. Matthew 7, 16 to 18. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So then you will know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 16 to 18 and 20. As Jesus provides the method of detection, he changes the metaphor from wolves in sheep's clothing to trees and their fruit. While a wolf can disguise itself, a tree cannot. Hence, Jesus declares, you will know the false prophets by their fruits. Now, the term fruits, karpas, refers to the deeds or works performed by an individual. Contextually, the term fruit was previously used by John the baptizer. When the Pharisees approached John to be baptized, he replied in Matthew 3, 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He refused to baptize them because there were no demonstrable works in their lives that proved the genuineness of their repentance. He went on to say in Matthew 3.10, Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so when Jesus refers to the fruits of the false prophets, he's referring to the deeds that prove one's repentance and faith. One's works or deeds demonstrate the genuineness of the repentance and faith and will reveal whether or not they are a false prophet. Indeed, false prophets can be detected by their fruit. Now, is it possible to misjudge a particular deed? No. Jesus says grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles. Now, from a distance, the berries growing on the buckthorn bush may look like grapes, but upon close inspection, they are not. Grapes grow on vines that have no thorns. The purple flowers of the thistles may look like a fig from a distance, but again, closer inspection reveals the truth. Jesus' point is that as different as grapes are from thorn bush berries and a fig from the flower on a thistle, so are false prophets different from the biblical ones. The problem is that from a distance they appear alike. Therefore, it is necessary to take a closer look at their fruit. Upon inspection of the fruit in question, you can tell the difference. The fruit or works produced by a false prophet are different from the fruit produced by a genuine God-fearing prophet. And so Jesus states, Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. The two trees are described as good and bad. 
Good, agathos, implies that this tree has desirable qualities. Here, the good tree represents the biblical prophets. That is, they have desirable qualities. The bad tree, the sapras tree, is rotten or putrid. Contrary to the desirable nature of biblical prophets, false prophets are rotten and putrid. There's nothing desirable about something rotten and putrid. Now, the good tree or the biblical prophet produces good fruit. But notice here the term good, kalas, describes the fruit or work as being desirable and profitable. Now, what are the fruits or works that are desirable and profitable? Well, first, there's the fruit of repentance. Matthew 3, 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is the fruit of a developing Christian character. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Another fruit is a life of good works. Colossians 1.10a, bearing fruits in every good work. Another fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1.10b, bearing fruit by increasing in the knowledge of God. Another fruit is evangelizing and discipling, Romans 1, 9, 11, and 13. In the preaching of the gospel, I have longed to see you, that you may be established, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. And yet another fruit is giving praise to God, Hebrews 13, 15. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And a final fruit is giving of, re- of one's resources to God's work. Romans fifteen twenty eight. For if the Gentiles had shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs. These are the fruits that should be demonstrated by a biblical prophet, apostle, teacher. And by the way, these same fruits should begin to be produced in the life of all disciples, all genuine disciples. Friend, ask yourself, are those fruits evident in your life? Is there fruit in keeping with repentance? Do you have developing Christian characteristics? Are you living a life of good works? Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Are you evangelizing? Are you discipling? Are you giving praise to God? Are you giving of your resources to God's work? All of those are fruits that should be evident in your life. Now, on the other hand, the bad tree or the false prophet produces bad fruit. Now, here the term bad, paneros, describes the fruit as undesirable because it is comprised of negative qualities. Paul describes the fruits or deeds of the false prophet as the equivalent of thorns and thistles. Hebrews 6.8 declares that if their work yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Now, what are thorns and thistles? Thorns and thistles are the deeds of the flesh. 
Galatians 5, 19 to 21 declares, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Those prophets, apostles, and teachers bearing such fruit, such thorns and thistles, are false. And as well, any disciple who produces these fruits, these thorns, these thistles, are not genuine but false. Examine yourself. Jesus declares a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. There is never a chance of misjudging the difference between a biblical prophet and one that is false. Biblical prophets will never produce bad paneros fruit or deeds of the flesh, nor will a false prophet ever produce good fruits like repentance or any other fruit associated with a biblical prophet. Jesus then concludes in verse 20 by proclaiming, So then you will know them by their fruits. Again, there can be no mistake or confusion. Fruit inspection always reveals any prophet, apostle, teacher, or disciple's genuine nature. Close and careful inspection of one's words will reveal omitted truths and twisted scriptures. Close and careful inspection of one's works will reveal attitudes and actions less than biblical. And while every believer should be inspecting the fruit of others, especially prophets, apostles, and teachers, let us not forget to first examine ourselves. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5, first take the log out of your own eye. Now, besides the fruits that have been mentioned, in what other ways can the genuineness of a prophet, apostle, or teacher be determined? The Didache, written around AD 95, records how the early church set up several tests to distinguish between biblical and false prophets. First, it says a prophet is tested by the word they preach. Didache 11 2 says, if the teacher himself turns or perverts and teaches another doctrine to the destruction of this, hear him not. But if he teach so as to increase righteousness and the knowledge of the Lord, receive him as the Lord. If a prophet's teaching, folks, aligns with God's word and promotes righteousness, he's biblical. Otherwise, he's false. As Isaiah 8.20 declares, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because they have no light. Second, a prophet was tested by his commitment to the ministry. Didache 11.5 says, He shall not remain except one day, but if there be need, also the next. But if he remains three days, he is a false prophet. Now, a biblical prophet did not remain in someone's home longer than two days because they were busy preaching the word from town to town. False prophets, on the other hand, sponged off others for an unspecified time with no mission or message. You see, a biblical prophet is so committed to the preaching of God's word, whereas a false prophet is only committed to their leisure. Third, a prophet was tested regarding his relationship with money. Didache 11.6 states, And when the apostle goes away, let him take nothing but bread until he lodges. But if he asks money, he's a false prophet. You see, a biblical prophet asked for nothing more than what was necessary to get him to his following ministry location. A false prophet driven by greed viewed the ministry as a means to get rich, and so he demands more than the meeting of his necessities. Fourth, a prophet was tested regarding their lifestyle. Didache 11, 8 and 10 states, But not everyone that speaketh in the Spirit is a prophet, but only if he hold the ways of the Lord. Therefore, 
From their ways shall the false prophet and the prophet be known. And every prophet who teaches the truth, if he do not what he teacheth, is a false prophet. You see, folks, if the prophet's testimony of life aligns with the teaching of his lips, he was a biblical prophet. However, if there's a disparity between his testimony and his teaching, that prophet, that teacher, that apostle was to be considered false. Fifth, a prophet was tested regarding their care for the needy. Didache 11.11 states, Whoever saith in the spirit, Give me money or something else, you shall not listen to him. But if he saith to you, Give to for others' sake who are in need, let no one judge him. You see, not only would a biblical prophet not ask for more than the meeting of his necessities, he would encourage the church to give to those in need. The false prophet cares nothing for the poor and needy, only for the padding of his own pockets. Now I want you to consider five questions that you can ask to examine if someone is a false prophet, apostle, or teacher. Number one, what is the source of their message? What is the source of their message? If the Bible is not the primary document of their message, they are a false teacher. Number two, do they believe the scripture is inspired and inerrant? Do they believe the scripture is inspired and inerrant? If they deny the Bibles from God or they claim it contains an error, they are false. Number three, does their message conform with biblical orthodoxy? Does their message conform with biblical orthodoxy? Folks, if their message preaches another gospel or something contrary to sound doctrine, and they don't acknowledge it, they don't fix it, they're false. Number four, does their message condemn sin or encourage it? Does their message condemn sin or encourage it? Folks, if they refuse to condemn sin, or if they go so far as to extol the virtues of immorality, listen, they are false. And number five, what kind of fruit or virtues are evident in their life? What kind of fruit or virtues are evident in their life? If they are not producing biblical virtues, but regularly produce vices, they are false. Now, having enunciated the dangers of false prophets and how to determine if a prophet is false, Jesus concludes with the destiny of false prophets in Matthew 7, 19. The destiny of false prophets, Matthew 7, 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, Jesus has already revealed that a false prophet cannot produce good fruit. Again, thorns do not produce grapes and thistles do not produce figs. Therefore, Jesus discloses that if a tree does not bear good fruit, it will be cut down and thrown in the fire. That term cut down, a copto, means to sever or exterminate. These trees are not being pruned so they can produce more fruit. They're being chopped down to be destroyed. Jesus clarifies the reason for their extermination. They do not produce good fruit. Folks, fruit trees are judged by what they produce, not how they look. False prophets may look and speak like biblical prophets, but they're determined to be rotten and putrid upon inspection of their fruit. These trees are to be cut down and thrown into the fire, lest their rotten, putrid state infects the surrounding trees. And when Jesus refers to fire, he uses it metaphorically to refer to the fire of judgment, notably the lake of fire. This judgment is no slap on the wrist, my friends. It is eternal damnation, separated from God, tormented in an enduring flame, and darkness which will result in wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
Recalling Jesus' words, Peter declared in 2 Peter 2, 3, that their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Judgment or condemnation is the, is, refers to the rendering of a punishment. The term destruction defines the punishment. Damnation in the lake of fire. God's judgment against the false teachers has been at work from long ago. That is, their judgment has been planned for a long time. According to Jude 4, these false teachers were long beforehand marked out for their condemnation. In particular, long ago refers to God's declaration of judgment upon false teaching in Deuteronomy 13. The judgment of death in the law points towards the future judgment in the lake of fire. Friends, there are false prophets, apostles, and teachers because there is a narrow gate and way. Satan desires as many as possible to enter the broad gate and walk the broad way. And therefore he has sent false prophets, apostles, and teachers into the world to deceive the many. However, the prevalence of so many false prophets, apostles, and teachers is not solely because Satan desires to deceive the masses. Indeed, these false ministers continue to propagate because people do not want to hear the truth. In Isaiah 30, verses 9 to 11, the man of God declared, For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, You must not see visions, and to the prophets, You must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. When asked what is the best safeguard against the false prophets, Bishop J.C. Ryle stated this, quote, Beyond all doubt, the regular study of, God, of the Word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The Bible was given to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Psalm 119, 115. The man who reads it aright will never be allowed to greatly to err. It is the neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the, to the first false teacher whom they hear. They would have us believe that they are not learned and do not pretend to have a decided opinions. The plain truth is they are lazy and idle about reading the Bible and do not like the trouble of thinking for themselves. Nothing supplies false prophets with followers so much as a spiritual sloth under the cloak of humility. My friend, I hope that doesn't describe you. If it does, repent forsake, and get right with God. Let's pray. Father of truth, we beseech you through your Son who is the way, the life, and the truth. We praise you that you sent your Holy Spirit to convict us of truth, even as we have opened your word today. Father God, we humbly come to you in submission to the word of truth. Father, I pray that you would continue to sanctify us in truth. But we must confess that in our flesh, our natural inclination is to lie and not do the truth. We confess, Father, that we do not spend enough time in the word of truth so that we could readily discern truth from error. And so, Lord, we pray, protect us from these ravenous, savage wolves who omit and twist the scriptures and attempt to deceive us. Father, give us open eyes and ears that we can inspect their words and works and so discern their disingenuousness and insidious nature. 
I pray, God, that you might protect this church. Grant our elders discernment to protect this flock. Knowing that you will answer, knowing that you will give us what we have requested, we give you all praise and all glory. And to this we say, Amen.